Blog Talk Radio. And now, where the paranormal meets the sacred, and all topics in between, live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show, with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi everybody, I'm your host, Shaw McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. And we're very proud to say we're translating to many different languages for our listeners outside of the country. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744. And the Paranormal and Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, during this show, I can take questions in order in chat. And you may call in with your questions and speak with our special guest tonight. Any buzz killers in chat or on the phone will be kicked out, blocked, and any other thing I could do to you. So please play nice so it's a comfortable and safe place to visit. Anyway, I wish everybody, all my listeners, family, and friends, for a very happy new year. This is our first kickoff show for the new year 2016, and we're looking forward to a bright and prosperous year ahead for everyone. And cheers to an amazing, blessed, and prosperous year ahead. Yay, I'm very excited about it. I have a few announcements before we get our special guest on. Announcements. I must tell you about Marilyn Salas. She's a wonderful lady, counselor, and healer, and you can reach her at www.lovesblessing.com. And she's got this beautiful little kit of, uh, she's calling it Love's Blessing Mist, and it's a healing mist. It smells like incense and has little jewels on the front of the bottle, and it's for calming, relaxing, and for meditation, and if you'd like to get some, contact Marilyn Salas at www.lovesblessing.com. And uh, she's also a counselor and a healer, and I recommend that if you would like to uh, go through some healing therapies with somebody, go ahead and contact Marilyn Salas at Love's Blessings. I just want to give you a heads up that Shirley McLean is is actually having a, a guest on the Light Institute, to, uh, excuse me, Chris Grisham, of the Light Institute to join her on IE Radio this Sunday. So don't miss it. They're going to discuss spiritual technology and what they see for the coming year ahead. So hope you tune in January 3rd, Sunday, 6 p.m. Pacific. So that's our time and 9 p.m. Eastern. And let's see, her uh, contact is www.shirley, S-H-I-R-L-E-Y, McLean, M-A-C, L-A-I-N-E dot com, and she's at IE Radio. Anyway, and then I have some other friends that are doing a webinar, and it's free, and it's going to happen Thursday, January 7th at 7.30 p.m., and it's the Archetypical Nature Introductory Presentation, and you're going to love it, and I love those people over there, and I love the whole topic of, you know, Carl Jung and archetypes and things like that. So anyway, register at 
www.archetypalnature.com slash webinars. And I also want to remind you that Serial International is an organization that supports the UFO experiencers and gathers together experts from around the world for these awesome presentations. Yvonne Smith is the director, and she's a licensed hypnotherapist in the north of L.A. area. And she also has also office available in Huntington Beach for those that are down that way. So if you need help, if you need hypnotherapy, uh, help from PTSD or anything like that, or you would like to uh, join uh, Ciro and start coming to the meetings for support, contact www.cerointernational.com for more information and help. Now, I got some Texas cousins, my real cousins, Chris and his wife, Tracy Simpson, and they're out there at Texas Way in Galveston, and you know what? They do ghost tours. I personally have never went and probably will never go on a ghost tour, but for you people that want to seek out ghosts and not have them come to you, they're called the Texas Ghost Trackers. You can reach them at texasghosttours at yahoo.com or www.texas-ghost-tours.com. You can also call them at 713-562-0429. And anyway, I think that's enough of my announcements. And I do, again, want to wish everybody a happy new year. And I'm very happy to tell you something about our guest tonight. Now, John Draper is author of a book, A Danger to God Himself. And I want you to please join us as we speak with this most interesting guest that will give us insights into the unknown and also tell us about his wonderful book, and he has a very interesting uh, story, too. I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, the book and about John Draper. John Draper had been a Pentecostal Christian for 30 years plus. He began writing his novel about a Mormon missionary who succumbs to schizophrenia on his mission. In fact, he felt led by God to write the novel. And to research the novel, he read everything on Mormonism he could get his hands on. It would invite any in any Mormon missionary. Can you imagine that? Not in the door slammed their face and invited him in. Anyway, he also became involved in a robust online ex-Mormon community. And lastly, he attended a local Mormon church undercover. And during this eight-year process, we got this awesome book that he wrote. And uh, I'm not going to welcome him on the show right now. Hi, I'd like to welcome you to the Paranormal and the Sacred Life, John. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you on, and uh, you have just a very interesting story and and book, and uh, we're really excited to hear from you. And how are, how are you today, and Happy New Year? Well, thank you very much. It's, yeah, first day of 2016. I'm doing great. Yay. What a way to start yeah. off, huh? No kidding. That's uh, a great way to start I, off. <laughs> It is. And, um, you know, we really like to support our authors, and uh, we we really love that uh, you reached out and we got to know you because you have a very interesting story. And um, I'd like you to, if you would like to tell us uh, how it started out, you know, where you're from, a little of your background and your biography, if you don't mind. Certainly. Well, um not too sure exactly where to start. The, the idea of the book, the book came about about eight years ago. Um, at the time, I was a Pentecostal Christian, had been for 20-odd years at that point, and uh, quite devout, quite zealous, um, spoken tongues, all that. And uh, a buddy and I, another single dad and I, uh, who were big buddies at the church I was going to, the Foursquare Church I was going to, 
uh, we kind of got it in our heads to research Mormonism. I, I think we had bumped into some Mormon missionaries and talked to them, and we were very zealous for what we felt was the truth. And we knew what they were saying, at least we had heard what they were saying was not the truth, and so we wanted to learn about it. And <clears throat> when we uh, researched it, it uh, uh, it really seemed outlandish. It, uh, I mean, it, it's it kind of begs belief. It's uh, most people don't know a lot about Mormonism, but uh, the idea is that God lives in the center of the universe on a planet near a co- uh, uh, star called Kolob. And God is a, a person of flesh and blood. He has uh, sex with his uh, multiple wives in the celestial kingdom. And they create spirit children, which get sent down here and put into bodies on earth to uh, uh, to be tested, to see whether or not they are, they are worthy to make it back to the celestial kingdom and live, live with uh, Heavenly Father, as he's called. And also... The goal in Mormonism is really to uh, become a god and to be given your own planet from which you would uh, create your own spirit children with your wives. And and it goes on and on and on. It it goes backwards, as you can imagine, in an unending uh, uh, unending stream of gods begetting gods and so on and so forth. So uh, obviously it's not what's considered orthodox Christianity. So – and – so we were very zealous about it, and we just started, and it kind of became a hobby for me, to be honest. I just, I was fascinated by it. I was fascinated by, at the time, I was so fascinated by how can somebody believe this? How could somebody possibly believe something so outlandish? Um, uh, and uh, and that's when I started inviting the, mission, the missionaries in and talking to them. And the more I talked to missionaries and the more I talked to people at the church that I would go to, I, would not, I didn't tell the people at the church that I was researching a book on Mormonism. Uh, as I talked to them and I talked to more of the missionaries, I saw that um, they were sincere, they were devout, they loved God as much as I did. And uh, really the only difference when push came to shove I really had to admit to myself, the only difference between myself as a Pentecostal Christian, Orthodox Christian, if you will, and an unorthodox Mormon is the words we use to describe God, which can God be described? I don't think so. Uh, and, And I saw also that really they had the same religion, uh, that I had really, um, what it all I realized what it all boiled down to is my religion was love God with all your heart and try really 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 hard to be a good person and 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 have moderate success at best at doing that and even though Christians like to talk about the fact that they're empowered by the Holy Spirit I just don't think you to be honest with myself I didn't see it in my life after at the time, 30 years of being a Christian, I really hadn't grown in Christ-likeness. There was still a lot about me that needed fixing, and that is only now coming to the surface. But um, I, I just saw that uh, I was nothing special spiritually, and I was no different from these Mormon, these Mormon kids, any Mormons. They were just like me. They just used different words. So suddenly... 
I realized the people I go to church with and who say the things that they say, and they're no different than the Mormons. They're, they're just as confused uh, as us all. They're just as mystified by life. They're just as uh, uh, hammered by life and pounded down by the, uh, the weights of life. And they have no particular power or energy to overcome those. And that's just the, that's the state of what it means to be a human. And uh, so I really came to the long, the short story is that after, after all this is that I ended up losing my religion, if you will. Um, I started the book to really, I felt led by God to start the book. And because uh, I felt like I was going to really skewer Mormonism and really make Mormonism look foolish. And uh, through my research and mainly through getting to know Mormons, uh, I lost my religion. I came to believe that uh, Christianity was not true, uh, or he was not any truer than any other religion. It's probably the better way to say it. I still believe in God. Uh, but I just don't believe that he can be accessed in any way. I don't believe it's imp- it's possible to have a relationship with him. And when I say him, I should say I just use that as a, a short form. I because I, I don't like to say him, her, it, they. That's what I really should say because I'm, I'm not at all saying that God is a uh, a male, which is actually what Mormons believe. Uh, so uh, so yeah. So that I just. Um, uh, I just stopped believing those things and lost my religion. And I believe God exists, but I just don't believe it's possible to have a relationship with him. I don't believe uh, he speaks to people. I don't, well, I don't believe he speaks to any one religion more, in, more distinctly than any other religion. I think everybody's confused as to what the will of God is. Not surprising. He's silent and he's invisible. And uh, nobody has a particular insight and everybody's just trying to do as best they can to serve God as they see it, usually based on their, their, their sacred texts. But no one really has a leg up on anyone else. So, so, and that's a big deal for me to come to that point. I was very devout. I was very devout, very zealous. Raised all three of my children to be Christians. I was very involved, uh, very knowledgeable about the Bible. Uh, and... But now I just, religion is not part of my life. I believe God exists, but I believe we're kind of on our own here, to be honest with you. Hmm. Okay, can we can we start at the beginning? Like, can you talk about, like, where you brought up and uh, tell us a little bit about your parents? Sure. Um, I'm interested in those things around here. Well, sure. I uh, was born and raised in Seattle, and I was... Uh, born into a family of a long time, a long line of college graduates. My father was a trial attorney. Uh, my mom owned a bookstore, uh, and my dad's father was a pro- college professor, and my mother's father was an attorney as well. So a long line, very highly educated, very cynical, and so I was brought up by a father who was cynical, who was not it was not atheist he was just sort of a religious he he was irreligious and a religious i guess you would say and um and i was also brought up by a mother who um 
was actually a devout Episcopalian, and so she would drag me to church every Sunday from the time I was baptized uh, until I was 18, and I, until I left for college, basically. And uh, uh, and I would have nothing to do with it. I I uh, I, I, I was a, I was a very contrary kid, very contrary, very troubled, and. Um, and I rebelled against my parents, as a lot of kids do. And I just didn't have, want to have anything to do with the church. So I would, for example, in the in the Episcopal Church, like the Catholic Church, every Sunday is communion, or as they say, it's the Eucharist. And everyone uh, goes up row by row to uh, receive the sacrament from the priest and the chalice bearers. And I would stay back in the pew, which and I was my lack of being involved was very conspicuous, and I'm sure it embarrassed my mom, but I didn't mm-hmm. care. Um, uh, but having settled that, I was not an atheist. I, I, I've never been an atheist. I didn't. I believe God existed, but I kind of believed that uh, He wasn't really involved in in day to day life. And, and yes, miracles were possible. But they probably don't happen. My my dad, I, I joke. My dad, uh, he's very. He was a very smart person. He, he's deceased now, but he was a very smart person, um, and he was irreligious and and thought religion was bunk. And a lot of his favorite Bible verses were verses that weren't even in the Bible. And one in particular is he was always liked to used to say, uh, "God helps those who help themselves." And I really, that's kind of the the point of view I had is that God is there, but really you're on, you're kind of on your own as you were. And so that's, I went into college, went into the university of Washington and, um, began my studies and my, my, my freshman and sophomore year, I was at a fraternity and, uh, it was a very wild lifestyle, very hedonistic. And then, uh, in the, um, late stages of my sophomore year, I fell into a very deep depression. And it was more than just a depression. It was it was a deep depression. It was racing thoughts that I couldn't control. And it was a pain in my solar plexus that wouldn't go away, an actual pain mm-hmm. in my solar plexus. It was very terrible. And I didn't know what in the world was wrong with me. And I didn't want to tell anybody about it. Uh, so long story short, uh, I uh, it took me ten years to finally get finally there was medicine for that. And during that entire ten years, when I was a Christian and I was uh, severely chronically depressed, I ne- I never begrudged God for uh, not healing me. I believed He could, uh, but I didn't begrudge Him for it. I I, I felt that the, the view of Christianity I had was one where Christianity wasn't really about what I can get from it. It's really about what I can do for God. It's it's about picking up, as Christ said, picking up your cross and following Him. And it it's hard, and it's you don't. It's not going to solve all your problems. And the point of Christianity is not to solve all your problems. It's to solve others' problems, if you will, even. So, um, so having but having said that, my. Uh, I and my eventual wife went to multiple uh, faith healers, had hands laid on me, prayed uh, uh, to have you know these, this uh, 
whatever it was, ended, and nothing ever happened. And um, I just stayed. I was still very devout, loved God, loved Christ, loved the Bible, but profoundly depressed. And um, I stayed that way for 10 years. And then uh, a series of events happened that, it with in with my direct family that kind of led to us kind of breaking down some walls and being vulnerable with each other and that's when i told my mom hey mom i've been really depressed for 10 years and uh <clears throat> she said uh well there's got to be medicine for that and so we she set up uh um three appointments with me for three three psychiatrists in seattle in one day and with all three of them, I met with them, met with them, and talked to them for about ten or fifteen minutes. And they all said, "Well, there's nothing for you. Uh, what you need is more psychotherapy." And frankly, hmm. I, I felt I needed more psychotherapy, like I needed a hole in the head, because it just didn't do any good. Because I had been through a lot of psychotherapy, point. Christian psychotherapy, right. uh, and none of it worked. None of it did did anything to. Uh, uh, stop the thoughts and stop the pain. I remember I had one counselor, a Christian counselor. He would tell me every every time I had one of these aberrant thoughts about myself, I had to stop myself and say, cancel, cancel, and say the opposite of whatever it was that I was saying about myself. But that just made it worse. And I just, so I was, <laughs> I was always walking around saying cancel, cancel, either in my head or muttering it, or if there was no one around, I would say it out loud. Um, so, so it looked like there was nothing to be done. I, I didn't know what, where, where to go from there. And at the time, we were living up in uh, Bellingham, Washington, which is fairly close to the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing a psych- – I can't remember how I ended up with this guy. Uh, but I was seeing a psychiatrist who wasn't a Christian. In fact, he was a Jew. And I was talking to him, and I related to him the experience I had just related to you. And he said, well, gosh, you know, I have a colleague up at the at UBC, the University of British Columbia. Why don't you just go get checked out by him? And I said, okay, I'll do it. <clears throat> so I went up to Vancouver, University of British Columbia, and met with this psychiatrist. He talked to me for about 10 minutes. He said, well, yes, there's a, there's a medicine that will help you right away. One, you obviously have obsessive-compulsive disorder. Two, there's a medicine that will more than likely – solve your problems. So he wrote me a prescription, and for the next six to nine months, uh, I would ha- I would go across the Canadian border to White Rock, B.C., get my medicine at a uh, pharmacy in White Rock, B.C., and then smuggle it back over the, uh, the border into America so I could take it. Uh, the reason being is that it wasn't uh, approved by the FDA, the uh, Food and Drug Administration, and it wasn't for about six or nine or even a year, year longer that I could finally get it in uh, the U.S. But the point is that it one little tiny pill totally took away all my depression, all my racing thoughts. Uh, it, it, it turned. It, it. I don't know if I ever would have killed myself, but. Uh, I mean, it was very unpleasant. I had been suicidal a couple times during the whole 10 years. but So I don't know if it's, the pill saved my life, but it, it definitely turned my life around. 
and um, and I really didn't have any problem with that. Uh, I, as I said, I, I hadn't, I wasn't holding a grudge against God for not healing me, for not using His power, and uh, I felt that well, God was, as they say, just using modern science to to help me, and that's how God was working in this in this instance, and. Um, so I didn't give it a second thought. Um, and that's how, as I said, that's really how I remained until I started researching this book and came to the conclusions I've come to. So long story. So, no, it's, it's, uh, it's important. It's interesting because a lot of people go through this crisis, and especially depression is extremely painful. And um, did, did that medication did help. And did you stay on the medication? Yeah, I've been on it for, well, I started taking it uh, uh, when I think I was 29, mm-hmm. and I'm 56 now, so whatever that turns out to be. Uh, uh, a long time. I've taken it, and um, I should say that uh, one of the uh, side effects of this medicine uh, is weight gain. And so when I started taking it uh, at, at 29, shortly after, I started gaining a fair amount of weight. And also, I mean, as I said, I, was, I turned 30, so my metabolism was kind of slowing down anyway. Um, but it, my mom was concerned because she's my mom, and she was often always encouraging me to get on diets, to lose the weight. And when I explained to her about the medicine, she kept on saying, well, don't you think you should, isn't there something new? There's got to be a better medication that doesn't do that. There has to be one. There has mm-hmm. to be one. And uh, this was about six years, no, no, this is this about 10 years ago. I finally said, okay, Mom, I'll try it. I'll go off this medicine, oh, and and I'll see if I can live without it. And I couldn't. And I went back down and it's became. It's not the thing to do. No, I went. Sim, I became mm-hmm. symptomatic again. And it took me a year uh, to get back on my feet. Uh, first off, the medicine, uh, when you start up with the medicine, you start very gradually. So it, you have to work up to a therapeutic dose over a period of three or four months. Uh, but then despite that, it's just it took me a year just to get back on my feet emotionally and right myself. So um, I have no desire to stop taking the medicine. I... I I just I need it like any other person who's chronically ill needs their medication, and uh, yeah, I'll never stop taking. Well, it is a it is a chronic illness, and it's actually a chemical imbalance that you don't cause. You know, it's part of your chemistry, and it, who knows if it came, you know, by inheritance or whatever. But uh, it's extremely Absolutely. dangerous to go off. You know, but it's not your fault. You just have to be on it. But I think people don't help when they misunderstand and tell, give people advice that's better left for the doctors, to me. I agree. I agree. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, shame with taking psychotropic medications, mm-hmm. and I really had to wrestle with that uh, when I started when I was 28 because um, uh, obviously only crazy people take medicines for their brains, and... So I had to get past that stigma, and it's a stigma that a lot of people have, particularly, particularly uh, people, religious people, uh, feel that well, no, you really shouldn't be taking stuff for your brain. That God can fix that. Um, and I've come to see that 
the, the, the disease I have, OCD, is just is just as physiological as a disease, any other disease in the body. It just happens to be housed above my neck, and but it's entirely physiological. Yes, it is, and it's not your fault. And I think you're doing really well. Just just stay on it, and it's like taking your vitamins, really, to me. Yeah. You know, so it's uh, you know, I'm sorry that you had that that terrible, long, protracted experience, and and that other part. But um, I work with many people that have to be on medication, and medication doesn't bother me a bit, but I'm a counselor, too. I counsel federal right. prisoners. And, uh, again, do you feel that um, the I, – I see like there's a crisis that happened. Do you feel like there was a turning point? Can you remember the turning point you had when you started feeling like uh, you didn't believe in uh, – Christianity or, or yeah, you believe yeah, I in do, God. I do, I do remember it, and cause, because um, uh, because as I said, I had done all this research on Mormonism, and I knew so much about it, and uh, I could I could uh, just refute refute it all. Uh, Mormonism is quite easy to poke holes in, um, but. I came to see that Christianity is just the same. And that was very distressing for me. It, it was a period of, uh-oh, um, what's going on here? Um, and Because it, it's not just me, it's my children, too. At the time, um, uh, my kids were get, just getting out of high school and going getting into college, so they weren't around a lot. But, but still, I knew that what happened what happened to me religiously would impact them because they all uh, at the time were uh were strong christians as well um, uh, but eventually i just it's funny to put it this way but i i eventually just took a leap of faith which is maybe an odd way to put it i took a leap of faith and said uh christianity's not true no religion is true um, and the minute I did that, it felt very liberating. Um, uh, I know people who, uh, uh, are troubled by the conclusions I've come to, but it, it gives me peace. Um, so t- I took that step of faith to say, you know what, I think this is true. I think that Christianity isn't true. No religion is really true, and God can't be experienced or communicated with. He's silent and he's invisible. Uh, it was freeing. It was very liberating. Well, um, what do you – okay, so to me, uh, Evelyn Underhill talks about the dark night of the soul when people go through a crisis of faith, and they also do get ill. And that's part of this whole darkness of the soul. And it's a, a place where people travel when uh, their belief is shaken. Uh, they're either ill or uh, they're like stuck in a hole and can't get out of it. And some people come out uh, converted or some people come out when a miracle happens. And um, I, some people come out. It sounds like you came out of a crisis with a solution that worked for you. To me, absolutely, and um, 
I if 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 a particular religion quote unquote works for somebody, I think that's great. I'm all for it. Uh uh I don't push the conclusions I've come to on anyone. I'm not militant about my agnosticism or whatever you want to call it, it is what I am. Um and it, and if people get peace out of Christianity or any religion, that's fantastic. I would just say that uh, I would encourage people, if they if they wanted my opinion, to I would encourage them to really see does um, does your religion really give you peace, or is it adding burdens to your life that you have to carry? For example, one. Uh, the uh, Mormon missionaries who would come to your uh, come to your door, they were there to share what they call the plan of happiness. And the plan of happiness is, as I described earlier, the process where if you're righteous enough and do enough good works and tithe and uh, do your ordinances in the temple and wear your sacred temple garments, uh, if you do all those things almost perfectly, you can become a god. And that is God's plan of happiness for you, and that it's it's the way to be happy, both in the in the afterlife and now. Um, however, Utah, which is predominantly Mormon, has the highest percentage, highest per capita use of antidepressants in the United States. So something isn't really the plan of happiness is not really working. And it's my experience with uh, Christians that that's the same, too. I remember when when we lived up in Bellingham, we attended a, uh, a four-score church up there. This is before we had kids. And um, the church was, uh, it was charismatic, but it was what was known as seeker-friendly in that it, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't really demonstrative about tongues and what have you. Uh but we believed that the Holy Spirit could work. And I got involved in what was called the prayer teams. And what the prayer teams did is they, during the Sunday night service, we would sit on the outskirts of the, uh, the people who were sitting down in the congregation in the dark. And people were advised that if they had any needs of any, any kind to come over and uh, receive prayer counseling from from these prayer counselors, and the thing that was so astounding to me was the m- number of people who would come up and sit down, and they were all uh, they were all just about to check it out. There, a lot of them were suicidal. I'm bulimic. I'm I'm about to go through. Uh, 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 bankruptcy. I'm, I'm whatever. I'm whatever. I'm whatever. I feel like I'm going crazy. I can't take it anymore. I'm about to, I'm about to break, and I don't know if I can go on any longer. And it just it was an, really opened my eyes to realize that a lot of Christian people, and I would think maybe that's the same for a lot of, if not all, religions, put on a happy face when, in fact. Uh, they're full of burdens, and their their faith really doesn't give them peace, even though they they say it does, particularly to people they're trying to win over to the faith. All right. 
So um, personally, you say you had never uh, experienced uh, a miracle, yet you talk about something strange that happened on your honeymoon. Do you want to tell us about that? Certainly. We uh, so so um, I uh, as I said, I let me just set up the timeline here. I uh, I okay. uh, I have uh, you contracted. I don't know. That's not, that's the wrong word, but it's the only one I can think of. I contracted OCD uh, at the end of my sophomore year in college, and so I was sick for my junior year, my senior year, and the next eight years after that. And in my junior year, uh, I met a woman, uh, and she was actually not a Christian at the time, uh, but I held, I witnessed to her and brought her to Christ, and um, she's still a very strong Christian. And uh, and she was two years behind me, so when uh, so I graduated, and then two years after that, we got married, and I wasn't any better. And no one no one knew about my OCD. No one knew about my racing mm-hmm. thoughts. No one knew about my depression. And I remember we, we were at, in uh, a suburb of Seattle at a church, and I was it was the day of my wedding, and I was in the back room just pacing back and forth, saying. Uh, um, I gotta get rid of this. I gotta get rid of this. I, I'm getting married. I can't. I can't have. I can't. I can't be sick like this. Whatever's wrong with me. I, I didn't even call it sick. I didn't know it was a disease. I didn't really know what was going on with me. But whatever it was, I, I knew I had to stop it. Went, got married, and uh, just went into a severe depression on the honeymoon, and uh, became suicidal on the honeymoon. And my poor wife, who's a great woman, she, uh, I mean, she's, she was really a rock for me. But she, uh, you know, she at, at the time she was, you know, what, 22 years of age, had no experience with any of this. And here's the per- man that she was in love with and was going to s- spend the rest of life with, all of a sudden is explaining that he has this for the, for, for the past, at that time, the past four years, had had this had been depressed and had no peace and was uh, chronically ill. And so she didn't know what to do. So she just got in the, we were, we were honeymooning in uh, Hawaii in Kauai and she uh, uh, started calling and the yellow pages back when there was the yellow pages and calling churches. Can someone come out and um, do something to my husband? And she eventually found this young guy who was a pastor. Uh, he was a four-square pastor, which is a charismatic denomination. And he came out and uh, talked to me, prayed for me, laid hands on both of us uh, to receive what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, real the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me really quickly explain. The short way to explain that is is that charismatics believe there's two two uh, experiences that are meant to happen to a Christian. The first is salvation, when your sins are forgiven, and at that time the Holy Spirit comes inside to live in, inside you. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you allow the Holy Spirit to start pouring out of you. And uh, and the idea is that uh, you will have so much more power. Uh, you will lead a much more, as they say, victorious life. 
and the initial sign of this baptism of the Holy Spirit was uh, speaking in tongues. And so I started speaking in tongues. Um, and it, my mood did lift a little bit, but I, I, I knew I wasn't healed. And, um, but my, 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 uh, my poor wife was really freaked out by all this. We, we went to the, uh, the pastor's church near the end of our uh, honeymoon there, and there were people during parts of the service, people behind us, in front of us, had their hands raised and were speaking out in tongues, and it really spooked her. It freaked her out. Uh, even though she had prayed for her uh, her baptism in the Holy Spirit, and she really wanted it because she wanted to serve God, but she just couldn't receive her prayer language for whatever reason. So when we get back to the states, back from uh, um, back from our honeymoon, and we don't tell anyone what happened, we don't tell them, "Oh gosh, we had this terrible experience on our honeymoon," and blah blah blah. As far when people would ask us, we would say, "Oh, it was good. We had a good time. What have you?" Uh, but we started. Uh, it just so happened we started house sitting for a couple. It was at this church we were going to. Right when we got back from Hawaii, and my uh, wife at the time was troubled that I had, that I had received my prayer language, language and she hadn't, and so it troubled her. And one night we were in bed, middle of the night, and something wakes me up. What is it? And I and when, once once I get awake, I realize it's my wife talking, very loudly, out loud, mm. in what seemed to me to be a clearly an Asian language, and. Um, so she and she was going rapid fire. She was laying down, and then she sat up bolt upright, kind of oh, and uh, and she goes, John, and I, I, uh, I said, yeah, and uh, she goes, what happened? I said, it's nothing. You just, you just, you just, you woke up. You had a bad dream or something. Just go back to bed. I wasn't really too sure how to deal with it. The next morning, I took her aside and I said, hey, you know, you need to go spend some concentrated time in prayer go spend half an hour or so and really seek out god because i think god did something to you last night i'm not going to tell you what i think it is but i want you to see if god reveals it to you she went out and prayed uh for half an hour an hour or so she came back and she says i got my prayer language last night didn't i and i said yeah you did and and she did and uh that was really our entree into charismatic christianity and um absolutely that was it it's it's very interesting um because i have uh many family members that are pentecostal christian and then uh i myself am greek orthodox that's the original faith and then uh i have a lot of friends of every different faith uh, of of and non-faith and everything else and everything in between but i would but i um I, I'm not. I don't know how I can say this. I guess I'll just say it out. Is that I do see a miracle in what has happened to you, hmm. and I don't know if you don't mind me saying this. Is that not um, at all? I have not been able to stick to any faith, well, religiously. Mm-hmm. I just can't seem to fit in or anything else. And then I realized a lot of this stuff is is more man-made than it is what I would 
think Christ and God would want out of me, and I do believe in the saints and everything else. And I've gotten a lot of the help, and uh, I had a very uh, bad childhood, uh, never knew what parents were, really. I had parents, wow. God bless them, but um, they weren't really into parenting that time in their life, so I was more of the parents. So I, I, I grew up the rough rough way in, in poverty, in projects, stuff like that, in violent home, and wow. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it was, it was very uh, rough. However... Somewhere along the line, I, be, I, at the age of one or two, I began to have spiritual experiences. Hmm. So um, being so young, I would actually just accept it. I mean, I had everything from uh, – this is before I was, I was baptized in the Greek Orthodox Church by an archbishop, and I, I really uh, I thank God for that to this day because who knows what would happen to me. So I felt like I was like sealed in the church somehow at a very young age. I already had an experience of God, but I had some terrible things happen to me. And uh, actually I I was saved by every single thing, like miracle after miracle. Um, When I was really young, I I was already cooking, let's say by the age of five or six. I was already raising my sisters and changing the diapers and everything else. Mm. There's five of us. And uh, I'm the oldest, so I was doing this by age of two or three. You know, I was I had a crazy childhood. Okay, I drove by a stick shift by the age of ten. You know, it's a <laughs> it's a crazy. Okay, so I'm just trying to tell you, it's not normal. So anyway, so here's this real religious kid. My parents weren't religious. They didn't know what to do with me. You know, but I had had a direct experience, and the one experience that I can tell you about. Is I'm just wondering if you ever met any real uh, people that had real uh, experiences, and that maybe that has made a, a difference. You know what I mean? Because sometimes we're looking for a church to fit when I could never find one personally. But I'll tell you a miracle if you don't mind. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm, li- I'm I'm little, so I was about five or six, and I did the cooking for the family too. So I remember I had my little apron on. I was standing up. I always had my little hair in a bun, which I look like to this day probably. You know, I'm standing up on a chair on the stove, and I was cooking with a heavy iron skillet, a black, you know, those black iron skillets. Mm-hmm. And it was really hot. I was frying the food, and it was really hot with oil. And um, I remember do, stirring the food, and I accidentally leaned my hand on it, on the mm-hmm. handle, mm-hmm. which caused the huge pan to hit me totally down the front, totally on my legs. I remember the, the way that. The pan was not only heavy and hurt, but the hot oils went all over oh. my legs, and uh, it was horrible. And it, the, I felt the pain and the whole thing. And uh, they called, back then they would call the doctor to your house. I'm a little older than you, so uh, they called the doctor to the house. And so the doctor came in, and he said, oh, you know, we're going to have to put this medicine on. And he wrapped my legs up, and both of them, and he used to put some or looked like mustard stuff, yellow stuff on it. And I remember my mother was tucking me in. The doctor said that we have to see in the morning if she needs uh, skin grafts and stuff like that. So I remember mm. that night I asked my mom, because I, I used to beg her to sing me the Lord's Prayer at night. And so I said, Mom, can you sing me the Lord's Prayer? And she would, you know, she just looked at me like I was a pain in the neck, and then she would sing it. And when she got into it, it would be really nice, you know. And I remember feeling comfort and just snuggling in the covers and falling asleep. So the next morning, the doctor sits me on the edge of the couch, and back then they had these braided uh, mid-century uh, couch. I'll never forget this great couch. With uh, I sat on the uh, arm of it, 
And he kneeled down on his knee, and he started unwrapping one leg. And he was like the typical-looking doctor. He had glasses, balding, gray, you know, just a typical doctor. And he unwrapped one leg, and he was kind of halting and looking at it, halting. And they laid the bandages aside, then he unwrapped another leg. And then he looked up at me, and I remember the way he looked at me in the face. And I was looking down at him that a miracle had happened and that I had not one blister, not one red spot, not even a bruise. And I looked at him, and the way he looked at me in the face, that he, he was a doctor. He saw a real miracle. And I took it for granted. You know, I, I wasn't rude kid, so I sat there and waited, but he said, you can go now. And, mm. you know, it was uh, it was just one of many things that have happened even up into this day, into my adulthood. I had another one. I just want to talk to you about the scientific one. So that's mm. that's one that happened that, that happened. Another one happened oh. when millions of them happened, okay? I'm just telling you. I'm telling you, for me, it didn't happen in church. It just happened between mm. I. I don't know if you believe that God gives you a faith, but you can resist. You can uh, yeah. resist. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? We don't I, have to, you know, he can send us all the stuff we want. We can resist it all we want. However, yeah. you know, I, I somehow uh, accepted this. And then uh, as an adult, I had a stomach ache. And I finally ended up in the hospital. And, uh, uh, the you know, I went into surgery and all that. And then I came out and I uh, felt a lot better. But at one point, after about three days being in there, the doctor came and sat on my bed. And I thought that was weird, really, you know. And uh, I said, oh, you know, he said, well, I have to talk to you. I said, well, what? And he said, no, this happened in 1981. Uh, but I remember the date and everything for this particular reason. So, wait, it could be 1982. 1982. Anyway, so he said, uh, I have to talk to you about something. He said, You're, uh, you had cancer of the appendix. I went, oh, my God. I was startled. And I remember I felt like electricity hit me. I went, oh, my God, because you know, I had thrown my life away so many times. You know what I mean? Just partying and doing oh, whatever and uh, drinking and all this other stuff. So he said, but he said something had happened I'd never seen before. He said your body had covered the tissue up, including your uh, appendix, and covered it up. And all I had to do was take it out. He said, I've never seen this in my whole life as a surgeon. You know, God rest his soul, he passed. So I was in the medical books for a long time because of that. <laughs> <laughs> because I, okay, so I didn't think this was too weird until I told somebody the story recently, and this guy looked at me in a uh, abject shock, and I started thinking, well, how fast does cancer grow, and how fast did that t- tissue grow? Think about that yeah. one, Mister. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that's why that that little miracle there kind of just keeps growing because I have to try to figure out my mind. How could tissue grow that fast? Let's put it that way. And and do we have tissue in our body that protects us from cancer? What do you think? Uh, that's, that's an amazing story. I I mean, I wish I uh, believe me. I I prayed many times to have my what what turned out to be my OCD taken away. And, yeah. Uh, and it just never went away until I took a little pill. I know, but I think that is part of our genetics, really. You know, because I have a tendency towards that, and I do have uh, a couple of family members, either it's depression or something else. And 
um, I've just been really sober a really long time. Mm. You know, so um, my 35th year anniversary is on January 24th, believe wow. it or not, this month. Fantastic. Because so, he asked me, what did you do that changed your life about a year ago? So I guess he was supposing it had happened during the last year. And I said, well, you know, I started going into recovery. You know, and that really mm. uh, helped. But, you know, so much stuff happens in our life, ups and downs and everything else, that um, I think we go through things, but it's it's uh, we're also given to the power to uh, proceed through them. And um, I have uh, had many other things happen, but uh, I'm just trying to tell you that I think some people have a direct experience of God, and I would call them more mystics. Uh, and I'm not going to tell someone who's had those experiences they didn't ha- occur. I mean, uh, they just yeah. have never occurred. They've never occurred for me as much as I've pleaded for them to happen. Um, they haven't happened. And uh, I think that's uh, – I'm not going to say anything one way or the other that you have these experiences. Mm-hmm. I believe you – I believe that you believe that they really happened. And um, – well, they're documented. Just, it, just, it just wasn't. It just wasn't the case in my life. God wasn't. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't real. He wasn't active. I should say. Hmm. I think that's really interesting. Well, tell us more about. Um, um, so you guys had a problem, but um, you uh, started researching Mormonism, and right. uh, and that uh, to me. Is um, you know I kind of hesitated to even talk about it tonight because I have a lot of uh, Mormon people actually on the other side of my family and stuff oh, wow. like that. But I I uh, well it was by marriage, so it's very strange that a couple people, including my my first husband, went to the Mormon church and you know then that means that my daughter married somebody that uh, the same thing, and I think that's a, a little strange coincidence. You know, but I felt like um, it wasn't right. But but you know, so I agree with a lot of the things you're saying about that. Right. But I I hesitated to talk about because I don't want to put down any religion. No, yeah, yeah. To, I mean, but to the, to the to the Orthodox Church, to say Russia or Catholic Orthodox, I think that it's the heresy, really. That's the way they. Well, say. absolutely. Well, you know. Uh, um, the Orthodox, as you know, the Orthodox Church believes strongly that they're carrying on the traditions that were started by the apostles, right? And and uh, that those that those uh, traditions haven't changed; they've remained unchanged since the day that Christ commissioned the apostles. And um, Mormons, however, believe that shortly after the last. Uh, Apostle died, uh, there was what was known as the Great Apostasy, and the entire church uh, fell away, and the power of God, uh, what's known in the Mormon church as the priesthood power, was taken away. And it was taken away until in the 1800s Joseph Smith uh, restored the gospel and restored what really were the true. true teachings of Christianity and that people like the Orthodox churches said they were carrying on in the apostolic tradition tradition were actually mistaken and uh, um, the, the true uh, the true 
the true first century church, in other words, the first century church was a Mormon church. Uh, there's no proof of of any of that. There's no proof of any of the current ordinances and ceremonies being done in the temple, uh, being done by first century Christians. There's just no evidence whatsoever for that. Um, but that's what they believe. Right. So, what are the what um, do you believe about? Uh, you know the the people in your book, the characters, because I was reading the reviews and you got some great reviews about um, your character building and things like that. So were these taken from real life or? Yeah, well, uh, yes. I mean, um, writing a novel was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was, um, as I think I said, it took me eight years, and um, uh, my kids. Uh, watched me go through it and uh, I mean there was one time we had a place and I removed everything off this wall and I got all these different colored uh, 3 by 5 cards, put them up had them all arranged and I was trying to structure the plot and trying to solve all the problems in the in the plot and it was it was it was uh, exceedingly complex, exceedingly hard and uh, but that said yeah characters would be drawn from my life but also, as, as, I, as you hear people say, uh, the characters did take on a life of their own that uh, you couldn't have expected or you didn't know where it was going to happen. And I guess it's, I don't know where that comes from, but uh, the way that some of the characters, if not all the characters, uh, ended up uh, evolving, I, I didn't set out to make them that way. For example... The young man, uh, Jared, the missionary, who actually goes insane, uh, he's he's a real joker. He he's always has this very bizarre sense of humor. And when I started writing the book, I didn't plan that he would have that, uh, th- that would be part of his nature, but it just sort of popped up and, and wrote itself, as they say. Um, and likewise for his twin sister, she has, she's quite fiery and quite outspoken. Uh, and I, she kind of, she kind of invented herself. So it was, um, I, I, as I said, the, uh, at one point I felt led to, uh, uh, to write the book. I felt God was calling me to write the book. Having said that, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I really didn't feel really any empowerment. But uh, maybe in, this is an, an, an example of how I actually was empowered. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I do know that there were there were a lot of points in the book where the book seemed to write itself. Yeah. Well, what uh, you know, that's a tough way to go. But you know, that's the way my son writes, and he's a, a author and a actor, and he's in Chicago right now. And uh, anyway, uh, that's the way he writes. He has a to follow the plot, he has to sketch it all out and everything else. Right. You know, but anyway, so, so yeah. sir, are you getting tired? No, not at all. Oh, good. Okay, so um, let's talk about, uh, you were talking about um, in your notes that um, uh, that how about art and the extent God has empowering, inspiring you, and 
the human struggle in God's plan. Do you want to tell us anything yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. well, the 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 uh, the narrate the book is narrated by Kenny, who is he is the missionary companion for Jared, the the missionary who succumbs to schizophrenia. And the book is written in the first person by Kenny, who, uh, uh, if you didn't know this, Mormons always missionaries always go out in pairs. And if you think about it, when you see them on their bicycles or what have you, there's always two of them. There's never there's never a single missionary. They always go out in pairs, and they're paired up, and they are told to, uh, other than going to the bathroom, to, to be rarely to be a, more than an arm's length away from your companion. Hmm. The, the idea being that uh, you want to be able to protect them from they don't get lured by Satan and drawn away off the off the path of righteousness and what have you. Right. Um so uh, uh so that was Kenny's story and uh um uh he and he started the whole book with a pretty he he pretty much always accepted the fact that well God was God was in control and God did reward uh did reward the faithful and did punish the unfaithful and that's just kind of the way the world worked and then he saw this young man Jared succumb to schizophrenia and actually end up dying and he saw that God didn't couldn't didn't first he saw that God didn't stop it and then he came to the conclusion that God couldn't stop it and uh and that not only that, he came to see that uh, he also uh, one one of the big points of the book is Kenny le- Kenny learns sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. He learns for the first time in his life to to give sacrificial love and what that means. Uh, but what he learns is that, uh, and the conclusion he comes to is that uh, God can't empower uh, you to to. I remember I remember when I was uh married I used to pray oh god make me a better husband make me a better husband and uh <laughs> it would never happen and uh as I look back uh and apply the less lessons that Kenny learned that I learned through Kenny is that god can empower you to sacrifice for somebody if he could if he did it wouldn't be a sacrifice because the sacrifice has to cost you something and those that's the conclusion that Kenny comes to and uh and it's the conclusion that I came to that God is a very hands off God and that uh we're left to our own devices and and in terms of art artists are left to their own devices and they uh they create what they create from within it's not true god and i know that's a lot of people would disagree with me but i just don't uh i just feel that that's the way that god doesn't work if you if you, if you will yeah well um i think that, that um my opinion on it is that um it depends on the circumstances i think if we get angry at god there's a way that we can shut off and we don't hear what he says or what other people say anymore either. 
And uh, so it's kind of like we block ourselves off from feeling. Uh, I don't think you can block yourself totally off from God. You can resist Him, um, but I don't. I think that God. Well, since we have see that goes into our, then we'll start like a discussion of free will and stuff like that. Yeah. But I have had I had uh, times where uh, I had believed all my life, and then uh, a couple of really terrible things happened to me. And this happened about 10 years ago. And it didn't happen to me. It happened to uh, people I loved. And uh, one person uh, was my niece, and she was uh, murdered. And not only oh. murdered, uh, she was chopped up. and also it, was, it was horrible. And it turned out to be a serial couple that are on death row right now. I was so upset with God because since she was born, I started worrying about her. And at one point, when she was about two or three, I sent her... Uh, to my mother in New York, and my mother said the, that when she uh, looked at my face when they came back, she said it, it startled her because I looked like, oh my God, I can't stop this, you know, because I had I knew it was coming, and I I didn't know, you know, there was no way I could stop it. And at one point, um, my uh, my niece was 12, and I had her. Her mother was in prison, and. Uh, I had her at my house, and uh, she was telling me a story. She said she's 12 at this time, and she was sitting on the bed, and she was sit down. I have, have to, to tell you something that's really important. And this kid was never serious. She was kind of gawky and goofy. She was getting tall, taller at 12. You know what I mean? So she was always yeah. awkward, but she was very beautiful. And uh, she had little braces on. And anyway, uh, she said, I have to tell you something. I said, what? She said, uh so I sat there listening to her. She said, I had a dream that I went to heaven. I said, you went to heaven? And she said, yeah. And she said, I saw Jesus there. And I said, well, well, who else did you see there? She said, I want to tell you something. I saw you there. And I went, oh, my God, my number's up. That's the way I felt. I said, okay, because I had a similar dream. So I said, okay, I wanted to test her. I said, okay, what did I look like in the dream? And this kid didn't have a concept of all this. She didn't. And uh, she was a little rebellious kid. She said, I saw you you wearing a crown and you look like a queen. And that's exactly the way I've seen myself, to my shock. You know, Mm. I've looked down. I'm in heaven. I've looked down, and that's what I look like. And it's always shocks me. But anyway, she was talking to me about um, what Jesus said to her in heaven and all this other stuff. And uh, then then I, you know, there's a, I don't want to say it over there, there's other stuff, but it wasn't too good. But anyway... And she looked at me, she says, but I want to tell you one thing. I said, what, honey? And she said, I love my mother. And that was it. That was her final thing. And two years later, uh, well, she was 13. She wanted to go back to her mother. And I had been trying to keep her because I knew this that something bad was coming. And I just hmm. felt that she was in danger because of my sister's lifestyle and stuff like that. Anyway, so she lived with her mom. And by the time she was 14, she was... She was uh, abducted and murdered, oh. and um, it was so bad. I went. My family said that uh, she ran away, and I she she came to me in a dream, um, like that she was gone a couple nights, and I had a dream that that she was dead. She showed me how she was killed and everything. It was so horrible that and, and gory, and 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 I don't know why I was shown that particular thing, but I guess she wanted me to know that I knew it was coming. And that I'm dead now, you know. So I I cried every day for 10 years because when you said you were depressed for 10 years, I cried every day for 10 years. Mm. I mean, 
uh, every day. And uh, I, I knew that God was there because I had had a spiritual experience. I was like a year in recovery, and I had a big, powerful spiritual with, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit kind, you know, where you get the direct intervention from the Holy Spirit. That, and that happened to me when I was awake. So I have a lot of dreams when I'm sleeping, but I was only a year in recovery, and I had that experience. So I knew God was real, but, you know, I couldn't pray. Hmm. And I, since I knew better, I asked, and then something else terrible happened, but I'm not at liberty to talk about that. But anyway, so... Uh, I asked people to pray for me because I didn't believe anymore, you know. So I still placed myself in a, a place for help because I'm, I'm just not stupid. I know that I needed help. So I had to keep there keep there, and ask people to pray for me because I don't believe and I'm not talking to him. If he's supposed to be my friend, what? A, who's my enemy? You know, I really felt that way, you know. And somehow it just just the constant vigilance and everything – it all came back to me because more and more and more stuff happened ever since. You know, my book is at the editor right now, and uh, I'll probably send you a copy of my book. Mr. I'd love to see your book. Okay, okay. Anyway, yeah, it has I mean, all I, this I, stuff I, in I, it. I wish, I wish I had had uh, a lot of spiritual experiences, uh, quote-unquote. Um, yes. Whatever that, but I just haven't. And I and I, uh, when I was a uh, Christian, I, I was so zealous for God. I was so zealous for Jesus Christ, and I loved Jesus Christ so much, and I just wanted to serve him better and better and better, but it, 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 I just, the best I could do is just trudge along and and hobble along, and um, so I I never had those, and I would have welcomed them, but they never, I mean, I, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll say yeah. You know, don't block it because you know you never know when you're going to need a miracle. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's happened to me many times where I just said, God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Help me now, Jesus, and then I get help. You know, but I've had to get to the spot where I didn't know where the help was coming from. Absolutely not. But I'm telling you, I went through the dark night of the soul for ten solid years, and I mean, pouring tears every day. I could hardly function or work. You know, and it was total. I went to a therapist, and he said, "This is so horrible. I don't even know how to help you, lady." Mm. Now, how do you think that felt? Absolutely. You know what I mean? It, it's called pure grief. You know, and that's what it was. But then she came to me later, and she said, "I'm okay. Stop." She wanted me to be happy. You know, so I started getting happier after that. But it took like ten years of more of deep mourning. Not that you're ever going to get over losing a kid. You know, but. Wow. But she said she's happy and she's with Jesus now. And I'm just, you know, having that faith that, that what she said with her own mouth is actually what happened. That's that's the strange part of this, is that she was dead within two years, you know. And when I saw her again, she was beautiful and just she was okay, you know. I don't know if you had any kind of uh, life after death experiences or anything like that. No, I... Not, no, no, nothing like anything you've described. I mean, I've I've been, um, particularly in the Pentecostal church, uh, worship services become quite emotional, and you feel mm-hmm. swept up in the moment, and you feel you feel that you feel the power of the Holy Spirit very strongly. And uh, so I've had I've in my past I've had those experiences uh, where I sensed the presence of God. 
Um, but the interesting thing is that um, all re- all religious people uh, describe the same uh, feelings. So they're not particular to one one particular faith. Um, and they're really they're not even really particular to faith. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. People feel the same things when they're singing the national anthem, for example. And these are just uh, I came to believe that these are just common human emotions that you can get swept up in. I'm going to read a little bit right now. There's this uh, by Alice uh, Langholt. Anyway, um, she's an author and she read your book. And she said, it was a powerful ex- exploration of spirituality, religion, humanity, and being human rolled up into a fascinating story. And then she said, a danger to God himself is many things. It's a theological exploration of Mormon belief and practice. It's an inside view of mental illness and its toll on a family. It's a heartfelt and real journey into friendship, relationships, intimacy, and love. It's a search for faith inside and outside of dogma. And a search for meaning in events that happen. The characters are very developed, flawed, and feel like real people. The book isn't trying to sell you or present a case for or against religion, except that the reader feels caught up in a very human, uh, in the very human searches for spirituality that the characters are undertaking. I truly appreciate John Draper's style, voice, and his writing. It's real, raw, and completely believable. It's no easy feat to achieve it with this topic. Like this, that's what I was thinking about. That's why I'm reading it. I learned a great deal about the Church of Latter-day Saints, which is also useful to me. But I learned it through observation rather than being overly taught, which I also appreciate. Anyway, so this book will stay in my head for a while. And it's another mark of a good read. The characters feel real enough to make you think of them after you put the book down. So uh, you can get your copy on uh, uh, Amazon. And uh, anyway, so uh, how do you feel about that um, review? I love uh, it. It touches me. It touches me. Um, uh, not everyone likes. Not a, I, I love that. I, it's one thing I've had to come to terms with is that not everybody's going to like my book. Um, when I was uh, uh, when I was writing book the book and getting near the end, well, actually all throughout the writing process, uh, I came into contact with a number of ex Mormons who had been long devout. Mormons who had gone on missions and had, had all the experiences that I had never had, and they agreed to read my manuscript and to uh, let me know where it wasn't ringing true. Cause I, because I always knew that the, my one weakness, maybe it wasn't my one weakness, but certainly a weakness I had in writing this book is I had never lived Mormonism. I had lived conservative religious belief, but I hadn't lived being a Mormon. Um, so I would have folks, these ex-Mormons, look at it, and I had a, a man who was a former bishop in the Mormon church. He was an ex-Mormon at the time. He got to the fifth chapter, and he threw it in the garbage. And um, so it's it's a book that uh, I think it, it's a book that can push a lot of buttons because it talks about issues that people care about deeply and the conclusions that uh the characters come to about the nature of god and the nature of his activity or inactivity in the world can be disturbing uh to people and uh people who have been raised to believe that religion does solve all your problems um 
but but back to that back to that review it's very heartening uh, it's it's because that's really what i was going for uh, and i i almost felt like uh, uh i should have paid her for that review that was fantastic from alice and uh, <laughs> a, yeah from alice and there's another one by dan and it said i'll keep it simple it's a good book there's a hint of Wagner throughout, and I think a touch of John Irving style. I love John Irving style dysfunction in this story. The subject's touched upon what may be controversial, but this is not a preachy tome. It's a story of coming of age under some difficult and unusual circumstances. It also visits the thought process of people who, for various reasons, are willing to turn any situation into their own game. It is funny, happy, and sad, and sometimes it's just a little bizarre, but always an, an enjoyable read. I thought that was cool, too. Yeah, that's good. That was great. It, um, no, and it's heartening as a writer, and you're a writer, and you know, when yes. you've uh, expended all this effort to create this work, and um, someone touches it, it touches somebody's heart, and they say it made me feel this, and you think, gosh, that's what I exactly what I was going for. That just feels so good. I'm sure you, you've experienced that, and it's uh, yes. Uh, likewise, you know. Uh, bad reviews are hard to deal with. They're uh, fortunately, I really haven't had many yet. They're probably yet to come, um, uh, but they're hard to deal with. They're uh, they're hard to swallow, and uh, that's part of the uh, uh, part and parcel of being a writer. Is you you create this work and you put it out there, and it people can make of it what they're going to make of it. Yeah, that's just the way I felt. So I turned it over first. To, I had to find the editor. Uh, that I I needed to have somebody different than me. That's what I wanted, mm-hmm. and I found the person. And so uh, he's uh, much more precise in what he does and methodical, and he figures it out. And he's extremely logical. So I found like I the just the right person. But it was horrible turning it over because it's like writing in your diary. Okay, I'm turning over my diary now, and uh, it's a horrible feeling, really. Uh, having 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 written a novel i'm starting on my second book um the one thing that i found that was uh perhaps the most useful and i would advocate this to anyone who's wanting to undertake the writing of a novel is to uh get involved in what's known as a critique group where you have uh, i've been critique groups of varying sizes but there are four or five three four five six people writers and you meet on a regular basis, and you read each other's work, and you critique it. And uh, that's so important because it, you really can't you can't view your own work with fresh eyes. You can't you can't you can't step outside. You can't be objective about it. You need a reader. You need to know how this reads. How a reader can right. and and uh, what 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 makes sense to a reader. What doesn't make sense? Because you. And it's that give and take that is so important because it, it can't just resonate in the writer's head. It, it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't resonate for the reader, it's it's not it's not doing what it needs to do as art. Right. Um, so uh, it is that you have to sort of submit to uh, the process and also. Uh, what I told my editor, um, he said, well, you know, it's good. We can do it. I said, no, no, no. I said, this is my first book, you know, and uh, it's my debut book. And uh, it has to be good, and you have to tell me the truth. 
So <laughs> that was that was you know you have to kind of submit to whatever the criticism is going to be. I know there's still going to be critics, but that's that's okay. You got to suffer. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, and and the nice thing about uh, uh, critique groups, uh, if if you're trying to write a novel, they work. They also they can they can be an, a hindrance, but they work best when the people have agreed to be honest with one another. And uh, and I mean people aren't brutal to each other, but if they don't if something doesn't work for them, I've been fortunate enough to have writers come alongside me who've been willing to say this doesn't make any sense or oh, wow that is that was really not done well that's just you really should go in a different direction uh, so that honesty if you don't have that honesty and the people just I have been in writing groups everybody just praises everything that gets read and that doesn't really serve the purposes of furthering your art no you know because I think uh some of this stuff is torture. If it's real, it, it's torture, really. If you're making up a fantasy, I don't see how it could hurt much, you know. But if yeah. it's really coming from somewhere real, I think that there's a, a pain part of it, you know. So, uh, what is your? Uh, if anybody has any questions, you can call and ask our, our author tonight six one nine nine two four nine seven four four. So you're working on a new book now. What's your new book about? Well. Um... Uh, I wrote this first book. I wrote it almost entirely. I would go. I would wake up at like four or five in the morning and go to a, a local Starbucks, and I would write there. And then at night, I would go to uh, a local bar and write in the middle of this noisy bar. Um, and people would see me doing that, and. Um, Eventually, uh, this guy comes up to me. I'm in the in the bar, and he comes up to me, and he's, you know, what is it you're doing? Are you a school teacher? A lot of people thought I was a school teacher because they'd always see me. I would have a red pen, and I would be going through copies, hard copies of my what was my manuscript. But I could they they thought were term papers from students, and I was marking them all to pieces and making changes. And everyone assumed I was a teacher. I said, well, no, I'm writing a novel, and. Uh, Oh wow! So we started talking. This was a number of years ago, and got to know this guy. And it turns out he's a gay man, a 35-year-old gay man, who was raised in uh, a fundamentalist Baptist household. And he is trying to come to terms with trying to find a spiritual, some spiritual moorings in his life because. He still strongly believes in all all the Christian dogma. Still, he strongly believes in. He believes in the Bible, uh, but he also knows that it is he's he is a gay man, and so I decided to write a book about that very character. And, and the story is going to be about this gay man who was raised in a, a tradition that told him he was sinful how he comes to terms with finding God having been raised to believe those things. So, so once again, I mean, and I, you know, they always, as you, as you, as you know, Shar, they, they tell you the, the primary advice they give to a writer when he or she is starting a work is write what you know. And, and so my first uh, book, I just totally ignored that. I, I wrote about Mormonism, which I knew nothing about, uh, I did know a fair amount about mental illness because of having OCD, so that helped. I was not schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm doing it again this time. And uh, I once I know a lot about Christianity, and so that'll that'll be helpful. But uh, I know nothing about um, being a gay man, and so mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to go down that path again. But I'm excited to I'm excited to I'm excited to get started, and I'm I'm structuring the plot now, and it's. I really would. I do. I want to get this done in the year if I can, and, I, and I'd, I'd really like be to great. be putting out a new, a new work every year if I could. Yeah, that would be great because I don't think you necessarily have to be one to write about one or anything else. And plus, you can actually interview a lot of people, and uh, you know, it might uh, open up uh, a whole new understanding about something. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I don't know. Absolutely. I could see yeah. you. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, and, I, yeah, and as, as a matter of fact, uh, this gay man who's a friend of mine, uh, we've had multiple in-depth interviews where I've had him tell his life story to me, and he would tell me what happened, and, I, oh, how did you feel about that, and what did you do next, and how did you react to that, and how did that affect you? So, I, yeah, so I am doing that kind of research now. The nice thing is, is I have, and he's very helpful. He's He knows I'm writing a book, and he's more than happy to give his insights. But, yeah, he, so he's really my, my lab rat, if you will, that I can uh, poke and test this, this, these uh, these new learnings with. Right. I think that's uh, that's good because, you know, it's it's uh, what I think this, your book has done and the book coming up and uh, many authors, you know, it makes you uh, stretch and uh, reach beyond uh, your your ex- your experience, but also it kind of helps open your mind to uh, what's out there or what could what could be. Because this, well, you know, it, this could be part of your journey. You know, John. You know what I mean? Well, it certainly has been. It, and yeah. uh, like I like I said, I would never have, in a million years, have guessed eight years ago when I started writing this book that that I would uh, stop being a Christian. Um, but that's what happened, and mm-hmm. it absolutely was part of my journey. And uh, writing the book changed me. It made me a, it made me a different person. Uh, I view life differently. I view God differently. I view uh, God's interaction with humans differently, and and like I said earlier, it, uh, it it was disturbing when I saw that when I when I began losing my religion, but when I took that step of faith and said yes, I am going to stop believing these things, it was a liberation for me, and I uh, I don't feel any anxiety about the fact that uh, God's not active in the world and. Uh, it doesn't seem to me that that's really it's really his job his or her job and uh i actually got a sense of peace from that which may sound strange hmm. no cuz i think that uh you do want a solution you know what i mean and then you came up with uh from your experiences you've developed a way to live in this world that's tolerable for you yeah well it seems to me that um absolutely absolutely and uh I mean, people uh, of all faiths, particularly evangelical Christians, will say, uh, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship. And I used to say that very thing. But if you push them, what do you mean by that? Um, How do you have a relationship with a silent, invisible being? 
Um, and you really can't have a relationship with a silent, invisible being. And and I don't think God wants to have. And this this is going to sound shocking, but I don't think God cares about having a relationship with humans. And uh, if he she okay. if oh, they hold did it, hold it hold it yeah. hold it wait okay so why would why do you think he sent Jesus then? Uh, I don't think he did send Jesus. Um, really? Now we yeah. know Jesus was really here, right? Uh, or do you think well, that's not true? There, there, there is a preponderance of evidence that there was a, a, a yes, a man named Jesus, and uh, and you have the evidence of the fact that the Christian Church exists. That it didn't just spontaneously generate out of nothing. Uh, right. Uh, but I think my opinion of Jesus has changed. Um, I don't. I think he was uh, an apocalyptic uh, prophet who saw himself as being used by God um, to get the Romans out of the Holy Land, the hated Romans, and um, that he. And when he had his three-year ministry, he uh, really didn't claimed to be the son of God, all the things we ascribe to him now, that those got attached later. Uh, um, and that the, if you look at the, one thing that's interesting about Jesus is if uh, uh, the people who study the Gospels can tell which Gospel was first, which Gospel was second, which Gospel used what Gospel as a source document, so on and so forth. And they, they get down to the beginning layers of what's known as Q, it's the source, and the source document uh, that ex- no, no one's found it, but they they know that it existed, and all of that notation for the Gospels. Uh, there's no, Jesus never talks about being the Son of God. He uh, never talks about uh, a lot of the things you see mainly in the Gospel of John about I am the way and the truth and the truth and the life. And it's my feeling that those things got added later uh, uh, as the church grew and found its footing and and became uh, infused with Hellenistic culture. So, um, yeah, it's uh, an, an amazing book that uh, uh, that I recently read. Uh, it's called uh, Zealot by uh, the young man's name is Aslan. <laughs> Ironically enough, his name is Aslan, which is the name of the Christ figure in the Narnia books. Um, hmm. But, but he oh, do you read C.S. Lewis? Oh. Or, yeah, well, yeah. Do you read? Yeah. It, do you read? So, what do you think about what C.S. Lewis has to say about Christianity? Um, uh, well, I, uh, well, I've I've read a lot of C.S. Lewis, and mm-hmm. um, uh, so do you think? Raised... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, because um, well, who I turn to in cases of let's say, since I can't knuckle down and say I'm this or I'm that, you do know I'm a Christian, but uh, when I read C.S. Lewis and know that he is a a fabulous learned person and he does talk about all the stuff, actually how deep it goes and how sometimes love hurts and how all, you know. Well, anyway, if you read it, like read uh, Mere Christianity or anything, um, what do you get that he uh, is wrong? Come on, yeah, tell I think, me, John. Yeah, I I do think he's wrong. I think he is. Uh, uh, that's the I, yes. I, well, I, uh, 
I'm hemming and hawing because <laughs> I don't believe anyone anyone can say that they know the truth about God. And I think it's impossible. You may feel you know the truth, and you may feel you. Well, it's built not the up. truth for you, but it's the truth for them. I guess I mean, if yeah. you're really gonna, if you're really gonna say it like that, you know, because you can't say. Well, you could say for me, I don't believe there's a God here. I don't believe that He interferes with our life. I don't believe He cares, and that's for you. But you can't really say that for everyone, can you? Can you speak for everybody? No, absolutely not, and I I, I don't want okay. to, and I still have I still have friends who are strong Christians, and uh, as I said, I'm not at all militant about my deism, which is really what I've become. I've moved from being a theist to a deist, and right. uh, I wanted uh, to ask you about that too. So Could no, you I'm. Explain that? Well, it's I'm still finding my way, to be honest with you. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, the essence of well the essence of theism is that god is a personal being he is a personal god um and he interacts with humans and he interacts in history and he interacts in people's lives and he he gets involved and he moves players on the chessboard and what have you or as a deist would say God was more of the person who set up the laws of the universe and kind of pushed them from the pier and then walked away. More of a, uh, 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 a, a landlord who doesn't live with you. And um, a, not a personal God. Uh, so a very unorthodox way of looking at things. Yeah. Okay, we have a question from the chat that's saying, do you believe in uh, angels and other kind of beings? Well, I, I think that um, uh, I, I think angels are no more or less likely than uh, uh, in the existence of God. I don't. I, I, I think to say that there's a God is going to require a leap of faith because it's not provable. It's not empirically verifiable. Obviously, and I think the same is true for angels. So, uh, uh, could there be could there be beings that uh, God sends on missions to be messengers to uh, uh, you know do, do His work in the world? I I suppose that can happen. Um, I don't think uh, anybody's been able to verify one of these instances happening. I, people have had experiences, certainly. But those are just their experiences. So, so I guess my answer to the question is I, I don't mean I don't mean to be evasive, but I, I think <laughs> certainly angels could exist. But I just don't believe, and I believe people have had uh, uh, experiences that they would say were angelic visitations. I would just say that they misinterpreted something. Hmm. Well, what, what, oh, do you believe in the paranormal, like ghosts and things like that? Uh, uh, not really, no. I mean, I don't. Once again, I don't. I don't. Um, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to hem and haw. Uh, I it, certainly there could be ghosts. I don't. The idea of the supernatural, something that's beyond the natural. Yes, I, I think that could occur. You could make an argument that occurs. I just don't believe that we. It. I think life is very natural. Life is very unsupernatural, 
and life is a struggle, and that the preponderance of people's experience is that life is a struggle, and is that there aren't unseen forces that we that we are on our own. And I think my opinion is if people are really honest with themselves, that's what they have to, the conclusion they have to come to is that there is only the natural. There is there is a God, yes, I believe that, uh, but he's not involved uh, in day-to-day life of people on this earth. Okay, if he's not involved with day-to-day life and there's people on this earth, um, uh, what's the point? Well, that's... See, I, well, that's interesting. I, that you sort of when you say that, you're kind of assuming that God has to be of some use to us in order to be God. The point I would mm-hmm. say is that God doesn't have to be of any use to us. That that's uh, that's an, an irrelevant point to make. God can just be who God is, and um, uh that he doesn't have to be of any use to us, any benefit to us. And I would say, I think that what I've come to believe is that what most people, uh, their thoughts about God are, uh, the, I would call them, the, they, they have a God that they want and that they don't really accept the God they have. The God they want is a God that is, is uh, active and intervening and moving things around. But if they're really honest with themselves, they have to admit that the God we have is an uninvolved God, if there is a God, uh, that he or she or it or they is uninvolved, an uninvolved being. Because, let's be honest, people keep on dying from cancer, uh, life is hard, uh, illness is just eating away at all of us, and... Life is not supernatural. Life is natural, and uh, and the God we have is not an intervening God. I think, in my opinion, if you're honest with yourself, you you just have to look at the the evidence of all the, the disease and horror and sickness and pain in the world, uh, and realize that God isn't an active God. The God, the God we have, is an inactive, impersonal God. Okay. Are you? Do you want to take a question? So there's a call in the caller. Sure, certainly, certainly. Okay. Okay. Um, area code nine one seven. You're live with the paranormal and the sacred. Do you have a question for author John Draper tonight? Uh, hi. Good evening. Um, good evening. I was I was wondering. Um, Okay, I'm I'm sorry. I kind of caught you later in the conversation. Um, uh, so, I kind of resonated with what you were talking about in the kind of your evolution in mm-hmm. in, in belief systems and things like that. Um, do you have any sort of like pull back to what faith you you had before? Like, do do you feel like you're missing something now that you've learned this information, um, you know, by writing this book? Um, yeah, the, yeah, the only yeah. Reason I'm yeah, yeah. There's because it's like happening to me right now. 
Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I was, you know, very comfortable in my faith and like I get information and I don't know how to reconcile it with what I was taught and what I felt and then now what I'm learning. And so it's, I'm kind of confused. <laughs> no, so. I'm not, you know, I, I, and there was, um, I did, I have lost a lot uh, by losing my religion. Uh, but really when I, when I really investigated the things that were precious to me as a, as a Christian were the relationships I had with other Christians. And, uh, yes, I did have some experiences in worship and being caught up in worship and feeling, having ecstatic experiences. But mainly what I miss is not having a group of like-minded people around me who could encourage Mm -hmm. me in the faith and, uh, uh, you know, admonish me to keep going and what have you. Uh, I miss that. Uh, however, yeah. the good news is the good news is uh, I, I have people like that in my life now. They're just not believers. Mhm. Yeah. Um. I can I can identify with that. I understand what you're saying. Um. Well, that's interesting. Um, have you encountered, like, have you done any further soul research or soul searching or um, any other research on other faith systems or uh, you just, you know, well, you know, you're not I, I, interested just, just, in a faith system? No, I, I, know a lot about, I know a lot about Christianity and I will know a lot about Mormonism mm-hmm. and... Uh, and that's what led me to make the to come to the conclusion I came to is that <clears throat> I started assuming that uh, uh, Mormons were uh, bamboozled by the devil and they were on the path of error and uh, they they didn't have the true gospel. But what I saw was when I when I was honest with myself, I saw they were just like the Christians I knew. They were just decent, sincere people who mm-hmm. loved God, loved Jesus Christ, and wanted to serve him, but were day-to-day failing miserably at it. And, mm-hmm. were, and were, were no more, one side was no more empowered than the other. And I had a kind of a conclusion that, well, maybe the answer is that 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 empowerment doesn't exist, that that connection with God is not possible. And that's the conclusion I came to. Hmm. Um I I often say that you know we only know what we know, mm-hmm. you know uh, that's that's really it. So we only know what we know. I also wanted to, if it's okay with you, if I could just share something about um, what I feel about God is absolutely. Um, because I mean I heard I heard what you said and it's it's very interesting. I kind of feel like God is uh, like sunlight. It's passive. But at the same time, it's active, depending on how we use it. So, like, the light of God shines Hmm. down on everybody. If we choose to stand in it, then we receive some benefits. If we choose to go in the shade, then, you know, we are either blocked or, in many cases, we feel like we're protected from it. So um, it's kind of all how you choose and um, you know light makes the plants grow 
the plants allows us to have oxygen. And it's kind of like even indirectly, God is still very much a part of us um, yeah, and surrounds I, I, us I, I, at I, all I, times. Yeah, I used to think that same thing, uh, but being getting involved in the ex-Mormon community, there's a lot of atheists in the ex-Mormon community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, back when I was a Christian, I used to look at, uh, I mean, atheists were evil. They were not good people. They can't possibly be good people. And uh, lo and behold, I was shocked to find that there's lo- most atheists, if not all, are lovely people. They're sincere people. They're moral people. They're kind people. They are people who want to really live like Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. um, uh, so that was that was an eye opener to me too. That you don't need you don't need God to be a passionate, loving, kind, moral person. That someone who believes there is no God can be every bit as kind and loving and empowered to the extent you can be empowered as a believer is. Mm-hmm. But don't don't you think that organized religion um, gives some people real guidance that they need, whether it be good guidance or bad guidance, but at least it gives people who are lost uh, at least a place to, you know, camaraderie and like-minded people and... Yes, it does do that, and I think mm-hmm. it's, that that community is so important. You know, having a community of like-minded people to be around that you can, because faith is, as I said, God's invisible and He's silent, and it's just so nice when you have you can have people come alongside you and say, you know, I know you doubt now and then, but this really is true, and let me put my arm around you and I'll be with you for a while until mm-hmm. you feel like you're encouraged again and ready to go on by yourself. Uh, that is is so valuable, but um, whether or not they have anything particular particularly to share from God, I just don't see that. I don't see any wisdom. I don't see God speaking through people uh, <laughs> any more than he's. Then I think you can get a get wise counsel from an atheist just as easily as you can get wise counsel from a uh, strong believer of any. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. For yeah, thank you, Colin, thank for you. calling. Thank you so much. Okay. Good Take night. care. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Um, I was thinking about, um, you know, how uh, we feel hopeful and conduct ourselves, you know, every day that, that things happen all the time and how we remain um, spiritually uplifted and hopeful Um where does your hope come from if you don't believe in a power greater than yourself? Um, where does my hope come from? Uh, uh, well, I believe that humans uh, are extremely resilient, extremely resourceful, and have an extreme uh, amount of power within within themselves to make change help each other and so I guess my hope comes from the realization that as a human uh, I have a lot of potential and I connect with other people and I bring other people into my life they can encourage me and uh, and their their love can empower me but I can actually have an, a relationship of love with these people which is something I can't have with a silent invisible God okay well, um, 
if you are a Christian, you do believe that Jesus did die for your sins and that he loves you and that he says God is love. Mm-hmm. So if we were to have love, do you believe that comes from God? or No. No. I don't. Because I, I believe that... Um, uh, I believe that... Um, I, I believe that whatever God is, he or she or it or they, is beyond personal. Uh, uh, I mean, that's a, one of the core tenets of Christianity is that God is a person. He is a personal God. But I believe he's something we can't even imagine. Uh, he or she or it or they is something we can't even imagine, that he is beyond, he is beyond emotion, he is beyond personhood, uh, and that God really doesn't love us. Uh, that he's uninvolved and that we really are on their own. We are on our own, and to the extent that God does have desires, his desires are that we help each other, and that's what he wants us to do. I believe that's true, too, that we're here actually to be examples to each other and to help each other and encourage each other. But I cannot believe that we would have this great... You know, if you believe, I I don't believe that God uh, lives in the universe. I believe that He is actually everything, even has a universe in His shoe, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That I don't think He would be disinterested in us at all. I think He's part of us. So how could He be detached from His own foot, per se? Let's say we're as we're as insignificant as a little toenail. But how could he be detached from something that he created? And I think we are pretty awesome as as people. Oh. Oh no, my my collar dropped. Um, hopefully he'll call back into the show six one nine nine two four nine seven four four, and uh, we have lost him. I heard some clicking on his line, so maybe somebody's trying to call in. So what I could do, I'm going to see if he can call me. So let's see. John, if you're able to hear me, call me back. Hold on. Let's see. Well, um, he hasn't called me back yet. So uh, anyway, so... uh, this very interesting person and this interesting book you can get on Amazon, A Danger to God and Himself, and it's author John Draper. And um, I just want to wish him all the best in the world. And he's also, I want to wish him good luck on his uh, new book that um, uh, he just has dropped out of queue. And um, I don't think he's calling us back. But anyway, I just want to wish everyone the best of luck. And Look what happened. This is Happy New Year to everybody, and I wish you all every good thing, uh, prosperity, kindness, uh, health, and hope in the new year to come. I have a good feeling about 2016. I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think it's going to be well worth it that we should all just hang in there and uh, help um, help each other and stay positive. And okay, I'm gonna try to call him and get him back in and just say goodbye. So let me see. I'm gonna try to do it.
Okay, so I'm going to do this, and I'm just trying not to make a mistake because it starts this whole circular queue thing. Hello? Oh, hi. Hi. Well, hi. I wanted to at least say goodbye to you. I said, I think you just dropped. <laughs> Remember, I, I, I either that or you got mad and hung up. But uh, anyway, I'm calling back to – I want to just uh, once again um, tell you thank you so much for – uh, your uh, great, honest interview, and uh, I was telling people to get your book on Amazon, uh, author John Draper, A Danger to Himself, and he's also working on a new book. And uh, it's a it's a good to uh, keep a rounder perspective on all these kind of things because we're talking about stuff that people argue about forever. You know what I mean? This Absolutely. is the big hot topics. But we're not scared here on the paranormal and the sacred. We're not scared. We'll do it. We'll talk. So anyway, I, I really admire you as a person, and uh, you're uh, obviously very intelligent. I do not agree with C.S. Lewis thing you had going there. <laughs> I read almost everything of his, and I even had to take my Latin book to read it, and it was intense. But uh, I do love his work too. So he's yeah, he's I, a I, just, I have a I have a I have a, a friend that I actually met at the bar that I wrote my book at, who is a Christian. And but who I, she had never read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and so oh, I bought her. I bought her the entire set of the Chronicles of Narnia for Christmas because they're how they're such cool. Yeah. yeah, they're they're wonderful, and uh, you know now they're making movies about all this stuff and everything else. So this is an interesting thread of mankind, uh, why we're here, you know, who's looking over us if they are or not, and all these questions. But you know, we have a brain. And we're all individuals who can ask these questions. And also, we can also free to believe whatever we want. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, that's the, that's the freedom of uh, why we actually, I believe I'm here in America. I believe I came here to practice my faith or do whatever I want or do have an unfaith. You know, if somebody does not want to have a faith or whatever. And uh, right. we need all points of view and we all need to uh, work with each other to uh, respect each other. And whatever religion you are, or not religion, or or whatever. I agree. You know, absolutely. That's absolutely. it. So I do advise people if they want to get another person's perspective, please go get his book. And um, do you, if anybody wants to contact you, do you want to uh, give them your email, or do you have a contact? Yeah, I, I, I'd love I'd love to have e- uh, email conversations with anyone. You can reach me at uh, my ad my email address is hoju. That's H O J U one nine five nine at gmail dot com. I'd love to hear from people uh who disagree with me, people who maybe agree with me, uh and I'd have conversations. I love to talk about this topic and uh I'm more I'm absolutely open to that. I, wel- I welcome people to do that. And they don't even have to buy my book. <laughs> I hope they do, but they well, don't do have, you have to. do you have it on Kindle too? Yeah, it's available. It's available uh, on ebook format and paperback. Oh, good. On Amazon. That's excellent. Yeah, you can get it. You can get yeah. it on Amazon. Well, thank you so much for being our guest tonight, and you're welcome on the future. And uh, talk about your next book. Fantastic. Thanks, Char. Okay. You take care. Bye bye. Thank John. you much. Take care. Bye bye. Happy New Year. Thank. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. So anyway, I just want to. Uh, thank everybody in chat Just uh, amazing people Smart and our caller Thank you very much And uh, those who are listening And those who are listening to us in archives 
as it will be archived a few minutes after. And, uh, you know, this was our kickoff for the new year. And we have we respect other people's uh, outlooks, and uh, that's all there is to it. And uh, anyway, I want to just read a couple things, you know, that uh, Carl Jung said. He said, where love rules, there is no will to power. Where power predominates, there, there love is lacking. The one is a shadow of the other. So what Carl Jung is talking about is that we don't power down on people. That's not showing them love and that we have to let go and, well, to me, let God. And I want to God bless everybody for the new year. i just thinking uh, we just need to be strong, go forward, and expect the best out of this year to come. And uh, thank you for spending your new year 2016 with us. And then next week we'll have another guest. And please follow links to contact me or you can leave a message if you would like to be part of the show or for general help and assistance. If you'd like to write me, you can reach me at nobody writes nail mail, but just in case, Charmaine Kane, P.O. Box 980, Hermosa Beach, California, 90254. Yep, this is where I am. The show will be archived, so this will be a few minutes after the show is over. Please uh, recommend us to your friends, and the paranormal sacred is a place where the unheard may be heard. God bless everybody. May your best dreams come true, and true love live in your heart, and then if you're looking for true love, that you find it. Okay, love yous. Bye-bye.